I'm Julia Sherbakov, and this is Impact Journey. Conversations with hidden heroes making big societal change. Well, if I just learn the numbers and if I just learn supply chain management, then I'll be able to influence the change I want to see. But really, like more often than not, I found when you speak to people who have had an aha moment around sustainability, there was usually a moment that was more emotional. Today, I'm happy to welcome Jessica Marathi Radparvarar. About her impact, Jessica is the founder of Reconsidered, a boutique social impact consultancy, newsletter, jobs board. It's a community that I follow, so I was excited to learn how it came together. Now, about her journey. In the impact space, I'm fascinated with how people come in through so many different doors. And Jessica, coming from teen magazines and fashion magazines, has created a sustainability career and community. And what I find fascinating is that her different background in media and fashion is actually a strength, not a weakness. So for example, when she talks about making a business case and an emotional case for sustainability, she's speaking not only as a corporate sustainability professional, but also as a teenager obsessed with magazines and feeling the power of that emotional connection. So I hope you also enjoy this conversation with Jessica Marathi Radpervar. Where I often start is with your background and your influences. And it's been so interesting looking at your bio because it feels like you have these three different threads in your background that are now woven together in what you're doing. This media and communications and journalism thread. Then there's this like fashion and style thread. And then there's the sustainability thread in your growing up. How did you come to each one of them? And then eventually I'd love to head into how they united in what you're doing now or reconsidered. Oh yeah, absolutely. So my immediate reaction is to kind of go back to an obsession in my preteen years with teen magazines. So I grew up at the height of magazines like Seventeen and Cosmo Girl. Oh, I remember them so well. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I was obsessed. I I was born in San Francisco, but then grew up on the island of Guam, which is a a U.S. Pacific Island territory. And I guess magazines were a bit my window into what life in the mainland U.S. was like. And I I particularly gravitated toward Cosmo Girl magazine. And the founding editor, a woman named Atuza Rubenstein, was a really powerful woman. And now thinking back, she was actually only 26 when she got tapped to lead Cosmo Girl. Um, She just had this really incredible way of speaking quite vulnerably and very honestly about what it means to be a preteen girl. And it really resonated and it made me view that medium as being something that could be really influential to help girls who were in the same hormone-driven, mm-hmm. crazy yep. stage of life that <laughs> I was in, help them navigate it. And I think was drawn to the visual and 
and written medium. So the idea of communications design and being able to absorb content in different ways that wasn't just straight copy or straight visuals. I loved the way the two dance together and that sparked a real interest and dare I say obsession with magazines and becoming a magazine editor, which was my dream for a good 10 years. I love that because it's partly the power of media. And as you were saying, this combination of what a medium like that can do in terms of both visual and written form, but also the power of like really personal, vulnerable storytelling. And so I think it is so magical, especially when you're talking to people of that age to do it in a, not in a glossy way, but in a really raw way. Yeah. Yeah. What it did was create a space for also girls to be vulnerable. Growing up, probably from the age of 12 or 13, it was it was my dream to work at Cosmo Girl. And when I was in college, I actually wound up getting an internship there. So it was really like a dream situation. I spent one summer surrounded by women who were just so passionate about helping girls navigate this really difficult time in their lives because I didn't have the vocabulary for it at the time, but there was a piece of it that was connected to being somewhat mission-driven. So that's a cool thing to reflect on, actually just with your question was that then getting into sustainability communications and impact communications was maybe a more logical next step than I might give it credit for. Yeah. So let's explore that one. How did that happen? Because you landed the dream job. How did sustainability enter the picture? Yeah, it, it's actually quite connected to Cosmo Girl. Yeah, I did this internship, but then graduated just as the global recession was hitting. Along with the financial markets imploding, the media industry was also hit really hard. And actually, a couple weeks after that the fateful dip, Cosmo Girl folded. And it was this dream that I had had for many, many years, gone in the blink of an eye. You know, I was devastated, but then I wound up taking about a year and a half to travel and work odd jobs and hone my freelance writing skills, hone my digital skills. And through that, I actually had a gig writing for the Sundance Channel website. I was a fashion columnist and found myself just continually attracted to these really exciting projects and brands in the sustainable fashion world. And so that was a bit my hook into the world of sustainability. And I'd say since then, I have orbited that realm from a number of different perspectives. So for some time I was writing, I then became a social entrepreneur, beta testing this idea of creating an ethical fashion marketplace, starting with a small collection of goods from Cambodia. And then I decided to go back to school. So I did an MBA at NYU and was studying the sustainability space. And then later went to work in corporate responsibility at PBH, a global apparel conglomerate. And then hit a moment a couple of years back where I saw an opportunity to design a different life. And so me and my husband um, decided to shake things up. And I started, reconsidered my consultancy and moved to Amsterdam, where I live now. And it's so interesting. I love hearing you weave those pieces together, media and journalism, fashion, and then sustainability. And I'm curious to hear more about this. And especially when you created your own brand with the artisan goods out of Cambodia, and then eventually also went to PVH, which is probably like two very extreme ends of the spectrum in terms of (laughs) what you could be doing in terms of sustainable fashion, a really small, tiny artisan like startup thing. And like one of the biggest fashion conglomerates in the world. I'm curious what you saw and what you learned. Yeah. Well, the piece that I 
I left out was after Cosmo Girl, I did an internship at InStyle Magazine. As part of the Sundance Channel gig, I was also doing a bit of uh, Fashion Week reporting from Paris and Milan. And it was really interesting because there was certainly something drawing me to the fashion space. I find the craft so unbelievably beautiful. You put me in a room of textiles, the tactile nature and, and the way that it's art, but also the way that it's people's representations of themselves to the world is often through the clothes that they choose to wear. And so there was something very interesting to me about that, but I never quite felt comfortable in it. Something was a bit off and it wasn't until coming across the sustainable fashion space that I started seeing, oh, fashion can actually be this really powerful tool for change. You know, the garment sector has been the step out of poverty for primarily women in so many different parts of the world. And so there's enormous potential still more than a decade after first getting into this space. There's been progress, but it hasn't been fast enough. Absolutely. And I am really curious what you learned in terms of sustainable fashion from these two perspectives that you had Mm. of one, starting your own brand where you probably had more control over where it was coming from and who was making it all the way to PBH, which was this big ship to turn. How did you see what was possible, but also what your role in that could be? Yeah, I, I learned a lot. The first organization, it was called uh, Tout Le Monde. And the idea was to emphasize the stories behind the product. I had gone to Cambodia. There was a really beautiful craft tradition, particularly in weaving. I spent several months on the ground just talking to people. I had a, a blog that I was using as my vehicle and my excuse for connecting with these different parts of the value chain. So I decided to create an e-commerce site that helped to really bring to life the stories behind the products. I never fully stepped into that role of entrepreneur. I was experimenting. But what I learned from that experiment was that there were limits to the impact that I could have. You know, I could buy 50 units of an item from an incredible weaver. And because I had in my mission that I didn't want to profit too much off of this business, I um, could mark it up 2x and then make barely enough to cover like my groceries. Um, (laughs) You know, I found myself feeling constrained and quite frankly impatient with the amount of impact I was able to have. I I had learned while on the ground in Cambodia that there were quite a number of human rights violations in the factories that were starting to gain a lot of attention. And I just got to thinking, you know, if I were to go into a large organization, even making a slight change, the impact you could have could just be tremendous. And so that pushed me in this direction of deciding to go back to school to learn the language of operations, the language of finance, so that I could ultimately help to make the business case for more sustainable practices from within. And then I ultimately took that to PDH, which as you mentioned, is kind of like the big, one of the biggest fashion conglomerates in the world and learned so much about influencing change? What does it mean to try to embed sustainable thinking throughout a multi-brand organization that large? Yeah, 
uh, they're two completely different skill sets. But I think now with what I do at Reconsidered, I'm very much bringing those two experiences. Okay, I've been the scrappy entrepreneur with packing my suitcase full of artisan goods, but I've also been at board of director meetings making the business case for an initiative. And so being able to bring those various perspectives to my projects is really invaluable. Yeah. And I'd love to actually talk about what you are doing at Reconsidered because it does feel like it unites all three of these elements of your past. The media part, the fashion part, and the sustainability part, where it's part consultancy, part curated content and newsletter. And I think this is somewhere on your website. You talk about going beyond the business case. And you talk about how actually changing how we do things on social and environmental issues requires an emotional case too. And I'm really curious where that need came from for you, how you've seen it working. Yeah. After having that hypothesis of going into business school of like, well, if I just learn the numbers and if I just learn supply chain management, then I'll be able to influence the change I want to see. You know, certainly I think it's important to be evidence-based. It's important to understand the industry and the business drivers. But really, like more often than not, I found when you speak to people who have had an aha moment around sustainability and then gone on to either work in the space or become champions of the work within their organizations, there was usually a moment that was more emotional. You know, maybe it was a really compelling documentary that they watched or getting to see a project's impact on the ground. For so many people, it's traveling in different parts of the world. So the business case is important and it can get us to a certain point. But in order to achieve the transformation needed within organizations, I think there's also a bit of a personal transformation that needs to take place among the people leading those organizations. Like unless you're like really a numbers wonk and you're just like so moved to tears by a spreadsheet, you know, there's only so far the business case can bring you. And I'm curious, like very practically speaking, like how does that manifest in your work? Because in a way it does feel like a very logical connection to your roots of media and, you know, the way that some of those magazines were speaking to you when you were younger, that was not just information and data, right? There was an emotional element there. Oh, that is such a great observation. There is definitely a a connection. You know, I think building up a narrative, almost like TED Talk style, can be really powerful. Facilitating experiences can be really powerful. Taking the time to get to know people on a personal level and then making connections between your work and their lives in a way that is personal to them. One example, you know, I remember there was this one stakeholder that we were trying to influence. Um, and this individual had a strong religious background. Uh, so much of faith is about doing the right thing, treating others as you would want to be treated. It was quite interesting to observe this person's journey as they started to see these values that they had grown 
grown up with and held so dear to them, then get extended to the way that that person showed up as a leader within the organization. And yeah, I think bringing the business case together with the emotional case is one way to do it. Yeah. And something that Reconsider does, so in addition to the consulting work, is it's also a content platform and a community. There's this curated newsletter, there's a curated online community for sustainability professionals and people who want to shift their work more in this direction. I'm curious how you saw that need emerging in some of the work that you were doing that led you to create it. Yeah, it's actually the newsletter came first. The newsletter was the very first reconsidered project, if you will. It came during a period of time off where I was feeling a little bit burnt out, jaded about the impact space. And I wanted to create a practice for myself that would force me to seek out content that was pushing the needle forward and inspiring and motivating and help me stay fresh. But then I also realized there's quite a lot in the impact space, a lot of amazing things, but also a lot of clutter. And so I felt, okay, if, if on my own learning journey, I can also make it easier for people to cut through that in order to surface content that could help keep them motivated and help them accelerate their impact even better okay, if there's a lot of content being created, let's curate just five links every two weeks that we feel are really pushing the envelope in our newsletter. If there's not a centralized place to find meaningful, exciting impact jobs, let's like create a curated jobs board. And most recently, so we have this private LinkedIn group where people can ask questions they don't feel comfortable asking elsewhere. So the way I see it is that we're trying to help fill gaps so that people working in impact can focus their time and energy on what really matters and where they add the most value. And the hope is that that's our small way of accelerating change. Like I have to laugh because in a way it's very much how this podcast was born too, which is I'm like, what are the things that I need that don't exist? For me, you know, with the podcast, I was really missing thought partners and thoughtful conversations on these really hard questions that don't have an easy answer. And so I love it because you really saw for yourself, right? It's so easy to get lost in the type of information that's out there on sustainability. I, I love the newsletter for that because I always see something interesting and the curation element is really beautiful. And I just want to appreciate that because behind it, I really see your journalistic sensibilities, both curating and reporting, but also making it very beautiful and easy to understand and accessible. Back to that, where we were talking about the aspirational nature of fashion magazines. And this is basically like the fashion magazine for sustainability professionals in a way. Oh my God. Thank you. I I, I, I truly appreciate you saying that. It's actually like newsletter weeks. Usually I spend the Monday before it goes out on Friday, just getting a little bit lost and trying to help interpret and, and make sense of challenging situations. Like when the George Floyd protests were happening earlier this year, when COVID started becoming more felt, certainly during the U.S. elections, there was so much to process. And having that opportunity to take a step back and think, what is the reconsidered take on this? How can we help our community? Uh, yeah, makes the experience even deeper than just reading the article. That actually leads to thinking about where this is all going and the challenges of this moment. And maybe a two-part question, but where do you see that you're on the right track? What, what are the things that keep you going? And where do you feel like there's still work to do in terms of evolving it? Yeah. 
That's such a good question. And there are so many ways in which we are being called to show up in all of our glory, if you will, (laughs) at this point in time in order to push the type of urgent action that's needed. And I think the 2020 has made very crystal clear to me, both with COVID as well as with having a child, is that we need action now. And it cannot be incremental. And it cannot be these token gestures or these capsule collections. Organizations need to change. And so, you know, certainly I have this laundry list of goals, action planning, and everything for 2021. But I think, you know, even more so, I want to focus on how do I want to show up? It's not necessarily going to be easy. And it may not always make people happy. Take my own voice to the next level. That's kind of what I'm hoping is coming up. It's scary though. (laughs) It is. It is. And it's so funny. I mean, I'm very much in the middle of a very, very similar process myself, having been inside really big organizations, having been on the consulting side and now connecting a lot of dots and moving discussions forward. There's a big question in my mind of like, okay, but now what, how do those come together? What have I learned? Where is most true? What I love about what you're saying about really stepping into our own voice as impact practitioners is actually we then go into a company or workplace or team or meeting so that other people can do that too. Oh, yeah. I'm hopeful that with COVID and going into remote work and the messiness that comes with it, you know, you're sharing the room with a partner or a dog's barking in the background or a kid crying. The borders between our personal lives and our professional lives are getting more blurred, at least for those who are privileged enough or have that ability to to continue working from home, which I realize is not the case for everybody. I'm really curious to see how this whole period has impacted the way that people show up to work and what they feel empowered to do. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much, Julie, again. I'm really um, humbled that you reached out and yeah, I'm excited to keep this conversation going. Definitely. Thank you. A big thanks to Jessica. You can follow her work at reconsider.co and in the links in the show notes. This is Impact Journey. See you next time.